Hello and welcome to ESI Focus, where we dive into a specific sector of the esports industry with special guests. My name is Kerry Wannanen. I am the head of multimedia content at Esports Insider. This is the second episode of our mini-series focused on the legal intricacies of the esports industry presented by law firm Shepard Mullen. Big shout out. Shepard Mullen represents athletes, influencers, content creators, media marketing companies, tournament operators, the whole nine in the esports industry. They've been representing uh, these parties for a while, and they're going to continue doing it. For more information, check out shepardmullen.com. In this episode, we're going to be discussing law and the conversions of esports and music. Today, I'm joined with Toa Dunn, the head of the newly formed Riot Games Music, and Sid Foreman, partner at Shepard Mullins Entertainment, Technology, and Advertising Practice Group. How are we doing today, guys? Doing great. Happy to hear that. Toa's doing okay. out, in, uh, out in Hawaii. So. Yeah, Toa's living the life. <laughs> yes, hanging out, you know, relaxing. Sitting on the beach, drinking Mai Tais, I hope. Um, let's start with some introductions. Toa, can you share a little bit about yourself? I know that you've been with Riot Games for over eight years, and uh, you've also just kicked off Riot Games Music. Tell us more. So, like you said, been at Riot since early 2013, um, and so I'm head of what is uh, Riot Games Music, um, and it's really our music initiative that's uh, focused on creating music experiences in and around our games mostly, and as well as esports and other products here at Riot. So everything from live performance to music videos and albums, um, we really just look to kind of lean into what is what we're really passionate about here, which is music, um, and how we can kind of amplify the different products and games here at Riot Games. So um, been doing that for a while. Um, it's been fun. We just released, um, like I said, the player facing, uh, which is Riot Games Music, the brand. So we have social channels, a YouTube channel to really kind of have a home for our content and a place for our players to meet us at. So um, yeah, it's it's been quite the journey to get here and looking forward to this conversation. So. Awesome. And Sid, how about yourself? Thanks, I had your yeah. colleague, uh, Brian Anderson on last week, and he's yeah. also in, in your uh, department as well. He's in my group. Uh, yes. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, the Shepard Mullen entertainment tech and advertising practice? Sure. Um, in addition to my, um, position in that practice group, I actually lead our esports and games practice with my partner, Dan Schnapp out in New York. And I'm also the head of our, our music practice. So this is the convergence of, of my worlds on, on this call um, or on this podcast, I should say. Um, yeah, our, my practice is fundamentally at the convergence of tech and media, and that includes music. And that spans across live events, um, you know, AR, VR, podcast, fitness, connected fitness, and of course, <clears throat> esports and games. Um, our practice group, um, our, what we call our ATA group, is a very broad um, entertainment and technology and advertising practice and spans the entire industry um, across the board. And, um, you know, we're California, Chicago, New York and abroad and uh, some, other, some other offices throughout the country and um, I think lend some real industry expertise and, and know-how and, and assist our clients in elevating their businesses um, within our space. 
Yeah, it sounds, I mean, it sounds really exciting. And it sounds like you have a lot of different areas that you work with and a lot of different clients for sure. Um, I want to dive in really quickly and give uh, Toa a little, a little space to talk about how Riot Games Music started. And you guys have just released the new Sessions Vi playlist uh, just this week. And uh, it's a, I think, 39 song playlist of with like a vibe around like lo-fi and chill uh, type of type of beats. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and, and to kind of get to like how we got here first, like you said, right. Um, I mean, really at Riot Games, I started as almost a, somewhat of an experiment. So a bunch of us at Riot and even prior to me getting here, super passionate about music. Um, we had a composer and it was really, I, I was brought in to kind of explore what could we do with music? You know, we know we love music. Um, just really how can we lean into it and do something cool, unique, and fun. And so um, really started off not exactly knowing what we're supposed to do, right? Um, and it, it's one of those things we kind of talk about here, right? It's kind of building the plane in the air. Um, it's kind of like a, how it feels. But um, this this turned into everything from like figuring out, hey, how do we create a, a bespoke song for a champion. Um, we call our characters in our game and from our world champions. Um, and so n instead of kind of the typical just background orchestral track, we want to kind of lean forward and think about like, what is a more, you know, we had a champion, his name was Lucian. And he was kind of this double gunslinger, futuristic kind of Neo Matrix guy, right? Really slick. Um, and so this actually started off with thinking of different songs and references um, that we thought would represent them. And we kept thinking about the Crystal Method, some songs from back then that they had, you know, kind of high energy. Um, and then that turned into like, well, what if we reached out to Crystal Method, right? Would they want to work with us? And those guys were truly just like awesome dudes. Once we, once we met them, they were up in the valley. Um, we went to their studio, collaborated with them. Uh, created a song with them. And from there, that turned into creating songs, working with artists, to um, creating music videos, which our first one was called Get Jinxed. And it was kind of our our way of promoting a new champion that was come out, you know, in a three and a half uh, minute action-packed music video, you know, to to doing now, um, you know, we have our eSports um, ecosystem. We have a world finals where the last two teams from around the world come together to compete. Um, and so uh, we co-produce work with our esports opening ceremony team, um, basically to create kind of a la the opening ceremony, like Olympic style, um, but very musically driven. Um, so we create a song, a music video, and then whatever artists we normally work with, they would come and actually perform live on um, that song um, in, in the actual world finals uh, event. So, in, you know, we've done Imagine Dragons back in 2014, Zed 2016. So we've kind of really found ourselves progressing more and more into doing, leaning more and more into music, both from a, you know, expressive way of like songs to live performance to music videos um and what ended up happening too is kind of growing the way we support that so how do we market and distribute you know this music how do we you know as sid will know like how do we even work with labels and artists to even be able to do something like this 
um, which was a big learning, uh, big learning curve for us, right? And figuring out how does this work in a more digital space that you know video games was in, especially as early as 2013 for us. Um, so that's really kind of been my main um, journey here at Ride is really building that out so that we have an internal, you know, music production team. We have songwriters, composers, producers, you know, marketing and distribution, um, business as well, right? And, and working with our legal team and kind of building all of that so that we can do the, the really cool things in music. And that's led us to, you know, just this past, um, just this past Friday where we released sessions. And it's a little bit different than some of our other projects, which are sometimes these really high, big events, you know, kind of like KDA or the World Anthem. This one's really about our community, right? Content creators and um, streamers, maybe they play, you know, League of Legends or TFT or something online. And, you know, music copyright is complex. Um, and it's hard, it, you know, can't expect everybody to know the intricacies of all of that. Right. And so we wanted really to solve, you know, what we call the player pain and, you know, within our communities, like how can they have really cool music, you know, as part of their kind of daily lives. And this is one of them for them is like for streaming. And so we created, we have this kind of player safe, we call it creator safe um, playlist. And that is music that, you know, Riot uh, fully owns and they can play it without worrying about us DMCAing or any of that. It's really meant to be music that they can vibe to, chill to, focus, whatever it is they do. And we think there's kind of different different aesthetics that we can fit into. So our first one, Sessions Vi, um, is really about kind of, it's the inspiration is behind one of our champions of our game. Her name is Vi. And it's a little bit of the day in the life of her um, as far as like in the apartment when she gets back and decompresses. And so, yeah, it's a 37 track catalog. Worked with over 20 plus, you know, producers and artists from that space of kind of lo-fi and easy listening and jazz and all of that um and then re really did it for our community um and so that's pretty much our main focus is really how can we deliver value for our players for our audience and that's what we're going to continue to do so yeah yeah sid before before we uh we hopped on this podcast you were mentioning that your your work prior to this had led you to working with peloton and uh, with their launch and how uh, they sort of famously launched without um, a music program in place. And that was back in 2015. And I'm sure you've been working in the space before then. So now in 2021, where Riot Games uh, has their own sort of record label and uh, is living up to that claim that some people previously called Riot, uh, Riot Records, uh, as a as a game studio that uh, is disguised that or a, a record uh, uh, label that is disguised as a game studio, Sid, how did we get to where we are now in terms of all of these contracts that had to have been formed ahead of time and all of um, the procedures and rights and wrongs that happened uh, on the route here? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, and it's just amazing to you know, be talking to Toa and learning about what he's doing in the space. And I have to say, it's been it's been a windy road to get us to this point where guys like Toa can can do the things that that, you know, he's doing at Riot and really moving this industry forward. So, um, yeah, you mentioned Peloton, you know, this is back in, in 2015. 
um, when, you know, connected fitness really wasn't even a thing. I think, you know, these new use cases across the board didn't really exist in, in a ubiquitous way that they do today. And, you know, just kind of looking back and, and thinking about, you know, where we were and, and what really was, um, you know, some of the hurdles in, in 2015 that are no longer really there in, in 2021. And, it, you know, if I had to point to, to three things, I, I, I think it was, you know, the feeling within the industry that, you know, using music outside of traditional distribution um, models would, you know, further commoditize music and devalue it. Um, a lot of the labels and the publishers didn't really have the resources um, to dedicate to some of these new models, which would require, you know, some out of the box thinking and modeling and structuring of, of deals. And then, and then there was this, I think, natural and certainly understandable, you know, friction between rights holders and, and companies um, with respect to, you know, the value of music to an overall offering. Um, and it's amazing. And I think Peloton is just a great example of, you know, when com media companies, tech companies, fitness companies are working in collaboration with, um, you know, the music industry, just how far we can go. Um, and, and, and I think now we're, you know, I think we're beyond that pinch point. We're at a place in the industry where, um, people are embracing the industry. Music industry is embracing these new models. Um, things that would, would have been dismissed prior are, are certainly being elevated and propped up. Um, and I think rights holders have really become really comfortable with the proliferation of, of their music, um, engaging their fans in really disruptive ways, driving um, listenership and in turn and in turn revenues. Um, and, and I think probably the most um, uh, resounding aspect or, or, or I should say evidence of that is the, the, the catalog frenzy. Um, which I'm sure Toa is, is very familiar with. Um, you've got, you know, songwriters and, you know, selling, selling their songs um, to third parties and losing all control over how those songs are, are licensed and used. Um, and I think that is really evidence that we've, we've embraced this world where there's no longer a real concern that, you know, my music is going to be used in a way that doesn't comport with my values or um, I'm stuck in the old way of I just want to, you know, distribute my music from an audio standpoint because that's the real art. I think Toa is doing incredible things where he he's at and, and many others in the space, in particular in esports and games, to engage an audience where they're living, you know, where they're already playing, where they're socializing, where they're engaged, and the ability to bring the music industry to those folks in, in that realm, I mean, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's a great time to be involved in the music industry. 
I mean, to kind of to kind of touch on you know what Sid was saying. I know, you know, in the past years, especially when we were first starting, like we definitely met a lot of that friction. I mean, just to kind of you know, without getting to details, but like I know words like in perpetuity on the internet was like a very almost a bad word, right? They're just like we don't, you know, the, the industry didn't move like that. And for us, we didn't actually understand how to explain. Well, there's YouTube. Right. Like, and that's where a lot of our audience lives as far as when it comes to how they engage, you know, with kind of the marketing assets and stuff. And so, you know, for us trying to work with the industry and kind of let them know and understand, like, you know, when we put something out there, we don't want to have to take it down because, you know, there's actually value. We saw that over over time, even drive value for, you know, recognition or, you know, marketing for the artist and that song itself. Right. And I think you're seeing that more and more and there's more familiarity, like Sid was saying. So it's been it's been quite the journey to get here, you know, but that's I think that's what's key and important for like where we're going with this is like kind of both sides to kind of meet understand and kind of challenge maybe you know what has been done in the past you know because some of those you know new media um i think right as it's termed now right just didn't exist and so you know those type of licensing contracts just didn't make any sense for what's going on now but you're seeing you know more mobility you're seeing more kind of adaptation in the probably the types of contracts that are happening that's how you get the things that are now starting to prop up within the industry so it's it's it's, it's exciting so it's good though yeah and it really does take a true collaboration because and and not only as between the industry and and the companies to develop these new media models but um for for your listeners who who may not know this um you know every sound recording has two different copyrights that is owned by at least two parties sometimes eight sometimes 10 um so you could take a track um and you you know, traditionally a label will will own the sound recording and then music publishers will own the composition that's embodied in that sound recording. And in, to this day, in, in this day and age, when you've got, you know, six people in a studio writing a song, they could all have, you know, their own publishers. So, you know, the challenge um, is to, you know, and, and then you have the artist and you have the artist team, right? So the challenge is to bring these three parties together, right? Um, get them on the same page and behind something. And, and that has been, you know, something difficult to do. But again, I'm, I'm going to keep it positive. Um, I think you're seeing it in ways, and I'm seeing it in my practice, things that I never thought would even be considered, you know, even a year ago are being embraced by A plus level artists, you know, triple A artists um, who, you know, are winning Grammys and, and, and fully embracing things that are just, you know, outside the norm and bringing their teams along. Started from the bottom. <laughs> um, speaking about collaborations, uh, Esports Insider reported uh, that Riot had partnered with Spotify in August of 2020. Toa, I'm curious if uh, Riot Games Music was involved or like on the table for this partnership at all. Was it potentially like 
an additional USP to the partnership? Was it sort of maybe the door opened up a little bit wider with this with this collaboration uh, being in the works? Um, I, uh, I'm not sure how much you can speak on that at all, but I'm just curious of if that affected how um, Riot Games music came to be, or also how how the music department in Riot Games had maybe uh, changed how they were doing things. Um, yeah, I mean. I can speak it from at least just a high level on kind of our perspective, right? So what's great is we think, at least at Riot, we, we're kind of like all at the table. We really try to think of a singular ecosystem in which we can kind of collaborate across the table, right? So like music, we work really closely with esports, obviously, for, you know, even everything from broadcast to how they have music for the broadcast, you know. So we work with other games. And so when it came to at least how Spotify came into the picture, um, yeah, we were definitely part of that picture um, because it's, it's being in the music team and also, you know, we're, you know, internally, you can kind of look at it as we are the, the label for the music label for Riot. So kind of all music funnels through us so that we can kind of distribute and market and also think of how we can, <clears throat> you know, activate more on certain certain projects when it makes sense. So um, we had already been building, we had a semi-relationship with them just through kind of music distribution as well. So when the Spotify and the official partnership happened, I mean, it really didn't change anything. It more became a conversation of like, okay, how do we, you know, it's it's less of how does Spotify talk to esports, but doesn't talk to music. It's not that. It's actually we all kind of talk together and figure out what are the things we can do. How can we continue to create value? So um, we're definitely like part of the conversation, and it become it becomes um, a value add even for us, right? What are the things that now Spotify as being a riot partner, right? What are those things that we potentially have access to? So I think it's really about driving value across the table, as in across the riot games ecosystem, which includes music, it includes esports, and I think that's the the big value play in that. Yeah, I think it's also interesting because while Riot Games actually does so much in terms of generation of IP, but um, in one of its biggest similarities, I think, with, with Spotify is that Riot Games is a launcher of sorts, and Spotify is a launcher for music. When you open Spotify, you're not necessarily interacting with that much Um from Spotify content, of course, Spotify has exclusive deals and stuff, but you're interacting with a lot of different things through this through this portal that is Spotify. And going on to what you were sort of saying with like the streamers and the broadcasts and working together with the esports department, like we, I think nobody can deny that streaming is such a big part of esports and gaming and creating a culture these days and. What is a big distinction that I think everyone is learning more and more about in terms of, of uh, song rights is the differences between streaming use and on-demand use. And so I'm curious, Sid, if you have any, any experience or if you can speak about sort of how we got to this big distinction, because I remember a few years ago, that was just so messy where you had the rights to stream this song, but then when you put that on YouTube, then you would get, you know, the proto version of DMCA. And it was just a nightmare, I think, for so many people. And then it really took a while for for labels to really say, okay, we are taking the time to make sure that we have all, all of our ducks in a row to ensure that this playlist or our artists are safe to play. Yeah. 
Um, look, I think uh, technology has always, uh, and, and consumption, I, I should say technology has always driven the way we consume content and in particular music, right? So, you know, if you look back, you know, we used to have, you know, tangible, uh, you know, records and, and cassettes and CDs. And then all of a sudden, you know, we look up and we've got, you know, MP3s. So now music's been digitized and it's, it's, you can, you can, you know, get it on the internet um, and it's being, you know, pirated everywhere. And then here comes iTunes and they're, then they say, look, I, we have a way to monetize this and, and have people pay for it. So now we're downloading and then here comes streaming and the fact that it is so easy right? So you pay a subscription or you don't, uh, and you have access to, you know, the entire universe of music in your car, in your home, at your computer. I, I think, you know, the early days of streaming, a lot of the industry uh, was saying, this is going to kill the industry. This will never stay around. And, and look where we are today. It, it is clearly um, the front runner in terms of the manner in which we consume, consume music. Look, I think there's work to be done on the economics. We could have that conversation all day long. I think the challenge really, um, that you're talking about is where you go from an audio only stream, um, or an audio only consumption pursuant to which, uh, there is a mechanical royalty that's paid for the consumption of that composition that's embodied in that sound recording so that you don't necessarily have to go and make separate deals with the publishers. Again, that's, that's, that's iterative. Um, but the, the complexity really happens when you're synchronizing music to, to a visual. Um, and so early days of YouTube, um, you've got all this music showing up on YouTube. They're on videos. It's UGC. And you've got the studios, you know, the film studios, the TV studios, the labels, the publishers flipping out because all of their music is being used without payment. So, you know, we're, you're at a, you're at, you know, you're at a point, you're at a crossroads as an industry and you say, well, what do we do here? Right? Do we shut YouTube down essentially? Um, YouTube, of course, relying on the DMCA and there's a safe harbor there which essentially not to bore your audience, which says, which protects distributors. So if they get a notice that there's something infringing and they take it down, they're not on the hook for infringement. Um, and that's, that's very simplified, but you know, so, you know, what do you do, right? Because you've got this audience, you have this opportunity to actually, you know, really drive revenue. So YouTube, you know, get smart. They, they start putting ads on, they develop, you know, content ID, which can then go and identify, you know, content and, and early days infringing content. And now it's a way to, you know, monetize and figure out who, who gets paid for what, um, which, you know, again, was another moment in time that I think set us forward, you know, light years in terms of, you know, TikTok doesn't exist, right? Without YouTube happening, um, and 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 now look at look at where we are there. So, um, 
there was a lot of complexity to be worked out. I think the audiovisual nature of licensing music is still complicated. Um, I think over the next 10 years, um, we're going to see, I, I, I believe, and, and it's tricky, I think, you know, I think some of that stuff will be streamlined when we look up in 10 years. But look, it's fraught. You've got fractionalized rights all over the place. Um, and it is not an easy task to figure out, you know, how, how to, you know, aggregate those rights and do a deal that makes economic sense for all parties. Um, so that challenge, I don't think is going away, but I, I do, you know, we've, we've made major strides. Um, and again, they're usually, you know, it's usually, you know, it's on the heels of technology. I mean, that's, that's really the driver and the fans win, right? Like that's the, at the end of the day, the beauty of it is, you know, the consumer wins. Um, when the industry can figure out ways to collaborate, work together, um, protect art, because that is important. You know, I represent artists and publishers and writers. You know, I'm, I'm not looking at this from a single perspective. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a musician, <laughs> an amateur musician, and I'm a passionate music fan. And I, you know, look, I, I have a problem, have had a problem with what I have perceived just personally, I'm just talking as Sid, as, as Sid right now, um, you know, the, that music's been devalued um, as compared to, you know, film or TV. Um, and, and it's good to see that, you know, I think we're coming back and people realize like how important music is, how integral music is and a willingness to pay for it. Um, and maybe that's being paid for by sponsors. Maybe that's being paid for by, you know, tech platforms. Um, but in the end, we all see the value of that. Um, and, and again, the consumer wins, right? If I can go on to Fortnite, um, and, and I can now, you know, dress myself with, with a tone, um, and that's representative, you know, or some, or some piece of music. And now that's representative of, of who I am. In addition to, you know, to all the other skins I'm wearing, you're now connecting with fans in a way that's completely different than just sitting back and listening to something. Yeah, I think that even to, you know, that's a that's definitely a, a great topic too that we probably could go on and on talking about. But I think it's it's actually really important, right? When you know, sometimes um, I think the perspective is there's kind of two sides that are really not in agreement or don't like each other or fighting when I think the reality is um, just understanding how value flows through things and kind of like Sid was talking about, right, where the consumer wins, right? But also in that model too, the artists win, right? The art, like you got to support the art and the artists, you want to fund it so that it can continue to exist. Because if you get to starving artists, then eventually you get to no artists and you, you know, you eliminate art from the world. Nobody wants that world, right? And so we, we all crave that. And so it's really about understanding with the kind of advancement of technology and consumption, how do we continue to support the art, right? Have that flow because like, again, that's how you eventually get, you get art supported and it flows through and you get consumers, you get players, you get fans that are happy. And that's really all it comes down to, right? To, that's the best right? point. Yeah. It's about happiness. That's the best so point. You just yeah. got to create that. And what we've been, you know, what the world's been trying to figure out is like with the advancement of technology now, internet and all the things that are happening, how can we 
create that streamline, unlock those pipes and that flow of value so that we can continue in our way, right? And it's just, you know, there are changes that need to happen. Um, and that's just what we're kind of like pushing through. And so it's, it's good, like, like Sid's mentioning, it's like you're seeing some of those pipes unlock. And so it's, it's going to still continue because like I said, I think the key word there is um, accessibility and streamline. Because once you really do that, that's going to unlock a ton of value. Like that's when the waterfall is going to flow through the pipes. You're going to see music kind of excel and, and feel, you know, kind of uh, be able to permeate into other spaces. And so, you know, video games, at least the, the, in the place that I'm sitting, esports and video games, that's, those are the pipes we've been trying to unlock. How do we make it more accessible, at least for our fans, so they get, they're happy and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be a journey as we unlock more and more pipes over time. Yeah, and that that brings me to my next point where Toa, I'm super curious how running arguably the first endemic uh music label in esports. I mean, I know you guys have been working on it under wraps for a while, so I mean it has you probably have some history there, even though it's just been debuted, but but so far, what's that experience like? And also before all of this, before you guys Riot was creating music for creators and really keeping this in mind did you guys have any headaches prior to what sid was talking about of people uploading <laughs> songs on youtube and not attributing stuff and then you are working with an artist i'm sure that there was maybe lots of issues with anthems uh before or original uh war songs these sort of things um take us through that a little bit i mean yeah like we we had to learn as as we did a lot of this right like because again it, it's it, it was complex and and things like you know youtube developing a really great content id system right like when technology advanced it kind of created a, a problem you could say in the long run probably a good problem because it's a it's it's something that needed to be addressed right but it, it was a problem that like hit both sides like okay it's being identified now in this place how do we coordinate? Because it's creating a pain for like our players and our fans, right? It's less happiness for our players. And we're, that's what we're really always trying to address is how do we make this just a fun experience? And so, I mean, we kind of ended up here, right? Like we, again, it was never our mission to become kind of a traditional music label. Um, you know, we have similar functions we, that we learned and built, right? Like to market and distribute our music. This was our way of solving, like, how do we get our music to players, right? I think it was in 2014 when we um, had our first, you know, technically our first virtual band, um, though that's not how we thought of it, but it was a metal band called Pentakill, and we had this album, and we were like, wouldn't it be cool to get it on iTunes, right? Like, how do we get it on iTunes? We had no idea at that time, right? So that began research, how do we get into, you know, distribution, music distribution, and um, we used one of the services um, you know, from back in the day to kind of first do that. So we learned to become like to distribute, to market, to produce, to kind of do everything. And so we kind of just ended up here to an extent, right? There was definitely intent, but it wasn't to become a label. Um, in fact, in our, in, in an interesting way, we're technically, you know, in some songs we're the artist, right? But we're also the label. Um, we're also the songwriters and the music publisher all in one. And that actually allows us, helps us to navigate this world a little bit differently to an extent, right? When it comes to, okay, how do we get our music to players in a way that doesn't create a lot of that pain because we can control a lot of those things. 
But the additive to that, and especially when esports, you know, when we want to work with a great big artist, you know, kind of an A tier artist or just someone we think is just would be awesome to work with, how do we collaborate with an artist that is already, you know, attached to a label? You know, and how do we, and so we had to learn that as far as like everything again with like new media rights and then UGC on the different platforms and then from a global perspective, because, you know, different, you know, countries and regions were kind of at a different place, especially when you get into certain Asian countries that are, you know, they, they may not use the Spotify's and YouTube's, for example, right? And so um, we just kind of had to learn and eventually figure out how do we, whether it's from deal making or even just understanding how do we just navigate that space, you know, understanding the, the places we can kind of solve our player and fan pain. Um, but it's still kind of an evolution now, like nothing's perfect yet. All right, we're getting into the creator's dream safe, but still there's learnings in that too. And I think there's going to continue to be more because, you know, music copyright is super complex. When you just get into the, the nuances and the intricacies, like you said, when it came to kind of sync VOD type stuff and how do you really differentiate what's gray area sometimes because a lot of things weren't fully defined before. And we found ourselves in those spaces at times. So um, I think as long as we continue to just like, you know, work with our partners, work with, you know, labels, work with, you know, copyright owners, work with artists. And it's just really about educating, figuring things out and then hopefully being able to do that. But like, yeah, we definitely came across a good number of our bumps along and, and the esports anthems was definitely one of our leading ones because that's one of our biggest, you know, um, music efforts over the past years that started from way back, you know, in the beginning. I'd say I probably received a lot of my music copyright education through doing um, those type of projects. So yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. <laughs> Sid, I got one for you. What would stop, theoretically, what would stop an esports org from recruiting a, a music artist uh, as they would a content creator or a streamer and then put out their content as a sort of mini label in in that sense is there a lot of of roadblocks in the way of doing that or is it maybe just not uh things are not in place for that to happen yeah it's a great question i mean the first roadblock um which is entirely prohibitive is the fact that if you're talking about um you know an a-level artist or someone that's signed to a label um, that label is going to have the exclusive recording rights of that artist. So the first hurdle there is, you know, if you take someone that's signed to a record label and you want to do exactly what you're talking about, um, you're going to have to go to the label and you're going to have to do a deal with that label, which essentially allows you to record new music, right? Presumably that's the idea, record new music and then distribute that music. Um, and then you've got, you know, the publicity rights of the talent. So you've got the artist very heavily involved. You got the artist managers involved. You got the artist lawyers involved, you know, oftentimes with, you know, varying viewpoints about the value of something and whether something's good for a career or it's not good for a career. And then you've got the publishing piece. Um, so then you've got to get the publisher on board who also is going to want, you know, a slice of the revenue. Um, and so, you know, as Toa mentioned, it's, it's complicated. Um, you've got a lot of, of, you know, cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, 
and everyone's got to be happy with what they're getting. Everyone has a different viewpoint. You know, the writer may have a different viewpoint if it's a co-write than the artist. Um, the publisher may have a different viewpoint than the label. Um, so, you know, your hypothetical, I, I think, is a difficult one. I think, you know, what Toa is doing, and I don't think it replaces, and I don't, Toa, I don't think you would say it, it's going to replace, you know, doing, you know, a collaboration with Drake or, you know, or Doja Cat or some, you know, like, not, like you're not going to replace that by, with your own label. Um, you know, and creating music and owning it. It certainly makes things easier for, for Riot. And certainly I think you're going to see, you know, people will be following in Riot's footsteps because of the importance of music and because of the complicated and fraught, you know, rights profile. But again, I think consumers want to hear their favorite artists. So I don't think that's going to go away. And I think that's why you're seeing deals, you know, Roblox is doing, you know, just announced the Sony deal and BMG and Warner. Um, and those are really interesting collaborations. Um, but again, like that stuff doesn't exist, you know, like two years ago. Um, and, and I think what's great to see as, as a fan of the space is the adoption, right? The adoption of the music industry of esports and games um and i think it's smart um you know an in-game concert um you know where you can drive millions of people you know to watch a streaming concert all at the same time um and and there's real connectivity socially there i mean i have a 13 year old son this is the way he you know, more than I like, um, you know, this is how he often connects with his friends. So now they're at, you know, at, in Fortnite, you know, or, or League of Legends, I'll shout out to Riot, um, you know, potentially watching a concert with their friends, right? And they're, they're in their avatars and representative of who they are. Um, and I think the next step, um, Certainly, I think you're going to see um, sponsors joining the party. Um, that's a natural, which I think will further um, uh, uh, subsidize the cost of music, which is oftentimes what can be the stumbling block. Um, and now if you've got third party sponsors who are paying, you know, to, to get to, to participate in a, in a concert to you know, to sponsor the stage or to sponsor a, a you know, some aspect of a metaverse. Um, you know, you've got millions of eyeballs on it and maybe that subsidizes, you know, the music piece and makes the economics um, more, you know, a deal more easy to get done um, because you've got all these rights holders and there's only so many slices of the pie. So um, long-winded answer. <laughs> But um, I think it exemplifies like A, the challenge, but B, the opportunity. Toa, Riot, Metaverse, virtual conference win. <laughs> right? I'll definitely have a seat at that, hopefully, if that happens. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I mean, I think that 
in terms of all the things that uh, all the the engines that are firing over at Riot Games, I uh, really anticipate that they would probably be um, the first to pull something off because almost everything can be done in house, right? You have the new new record label. You've got um, you know. I was about to say best-selling games, but most popular games, uh, some of the most popular games in the world, and uh, an extremely loyal fan base. So I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And uh, friends, this wraps it up. Uh, we've reached our time. Thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, it's really, really nice. We, I think we could have gone on much, much longer for sure. Uh, it pains me to have to end it so soon, but... Um, I got to get on a plane tomorrow and this next, the next podcast, I'm going to be recording from Seattle. So I got to pack up my bags and, uh, hit the road. Um, Sid Toa, thanks again. Uh, where can our listeners find you online if they wanted to get in touch, uh, or learn more about, uh, Shepard Mullen or Riot Games music? Sid, let's start with you. Yeah, of course. Shepardmullen.com. I think a Google search will get you there. <laughs> Yeah, and for me, I mean, LinkedIn, of course, Toa Dunn, yeah. as well as if you want um, Twitter or Instagram, all of them are kind of Toa Dunn as well. But LinkedIn's definitely um, probably where I'm spending most of my time with conversations on these topics. Sure. Me as well. Good call. Nice. And another shout out to Shepard Mullen again for presenting this episode. Uh, we have two more episodes in this um, mini series uh, looking at law and esports and uh, how it all works together. Um, thank you very much. And uh, again, sure. I'm Kerry Wannanen, and um, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks for having us, man. Thank you.